1: Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.
2: Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly
3: access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN.
4: Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Great to have you company on another pretty ordinary Melbourne day. It's either raining, the sun comes out, and then it starts to rain again. Julian Destoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Big show coming up on Afternoons. We're going to cover uh, a lot of bases. Uh, if you're just listening to the end of Jared's show there, just want to just test the waters on uh, the season opener for next year. It's it's always talked about. We changed it last year finally after uh, more than a decade of Richmond versus Carlton. We still had Richmond versus Carlton last year, but it was on the Thursday night. We began on the Wednesday night with the grand final rematch between Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. But if you read Jack Niles' article in The Age today, we're going to go back to the Thursday night season opener between Richmond and Carlton. Are we happy with this? Is this what you want to see? Or did you like the idea of a grand final meet rematch uh, in round one? I thought it was a little bit underwhelming last year, to be honest. I know the TV figures were high. The game was okay. It wasn't a great clash between uh, Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Only 58,000 there to see it, which I think was a little bit under. In fairness, the crowds were a little bit softer at the start of last season before they really picked up towards the end of the year as some of the COVID protocols uh, dropped away. The night after, we had 72,179 for the Tigers and the Blues, which has been about the average crowd, around 70,000 uh, for those two teams. So is, are you happy it's going back to Richmond Carton or Would you have liked to have seen, whether you're a Geelong supporter or a Sydney supporter or a neutral supporter, would you have liked to have seen the season open uh, with Geelong and Sydney? Did you like the Wednesday night idea? Or do you like it being on the Thursday And I just think next year, it's a great way to start the season with a bang, Richmond and Carlton. You've got Richmond, a couple of star recruits and Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper. You've got the, all the expectations around Carlton. They'll run out there with the reigning Brownlow medalists. They've got the last two Coleman medalists uh, in the team. For mine, it's the perfect way to start the season. But uh, others out there... Uh, might think uh, differently. So give us a call, one 736 736 of course, on the Werribee Kia Open Line, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Of course, this is Midday Madness. You call, you get on for Melbourne Roadside Rescue wrong fuel extraction, search up upshipcreek.com.au, and you can always get in touch with us on the 40 Winks Tampa, 0433 98 11 16. get your unique bed match profile and fight, find the right bed for you, 40 Winks, serious about sleep, and we'll uh, read out your contributions uh, throughout the show. Big show coming up, as we mentioned, in this first, first hour, and a chat to former Magpie Anthony Rocker who's gone back to where it where it all started for him he was picked two in the 1994 draft out of the Northern Knights and he's going back to coach the next year uh in the the uh the NAB League so gone full circle uh left North Melbourne just after Alistair Clarkson uh was appointed coach so uh, it'd be fascinating to chat to Anthony about his journey and also there's all this talk at the moment about you know the go home factor and and you know pl- and clubs being very wary about uh, drafting players uh, from outside of their own state. Anthony Rocker was one of the earliest cases of this. He did not want to go to Sydney. He wanted to stay uh, in Melbourne uh, with his family, and he he gave Sydney two years, and then was uh, traded uh, back to Collingwood, where he always wanted to go uh, to play with his brother Sav. So it'd be interesting to get Anthony's thoughts on just the modern player and and how much this is is, is an issue. Uh, in the game, we're going to duck over to Adelaide after one o'clock. What a big few days it's been in Adelaide. And what a big uh, few weeks it'll be in April when they host the the Magic Round or whatever it will eventually be called with all 18 teams uh, heading to Adelaide. And then, of course, the announcement yesterday that for the next four years, uh, Adelaide will host a Live Golf Tournament uh, next year. It's April 21 to 23 at the Grange. Tommy Wren is our man on the ground over there. He interviewed the Great White Shark yesterday. So we'll just get his take on it. What's the temperature over there? How's it going to work in terms of the crowds for this uh, round of footy outside of the Adelaide and Port Adelaide games? What are we expecting? Uh, Maybe what are some of the other venues that might be used? So we'll touch base with Tommy uh, after one o'clock. Simon Hill, host of the Global Game, will join us. And just on that, have a think throughout the show. You can give us a call or send us through a temper text. Uh, For Cars 24, we're searching for in the next few days, the 24 best FIFA World Cup moments. Thanks to Cars24, your next car is only a few clicks away. Don't wait for your next car. Your wheel's directly to your door in seven days or less. So just moments from the World Cup. It doesn't have to be the Socceroos. I mean, there's obvious ones there with the Socceroos. Uh, but any other moments you remember from World Cups that uh, just take you back down memory lane and that were memorable moments from your point of view, you can give us a call, 1300 736 736. Or send us through a temper text, 0433 98 Also joining us on the show will be Nikki Led, 2016 Olympian beach volleyballer. And also we're going back as we have been going back through drafts, 13 days to go. So we go back to 2009. It was a huge draft for the demons. Pick one, Tom Scully. And he lasted a couple of years. Pick two, Jack Trengove. Unfortunately, uh, that uh, foot injury has really uh, curtailed his career, and we never saw the best of Jack Trengove. Jordan Gisberts was pick 11, came and went very quickly. Luke Taps got in and out of the side. Max Gorn was pick 37. We all know Max is still going strong. And pick 50 was Jack Fitzpatrick, who was very highly rated in his junior career, had about everything at senior level. He battled diabetes, he battled concussion, he had chronic fatigue as a youngster. Finished his career at Hawthorne. It actually finished early due to concussion. So we'll speak to Jack uh, later in the show as well. am going to play some comments too uh, from Dane Zorko very shortly. Obviously the big story uh, in the last 24 hours has been around the Brownlow medal and uh, umpire Michael Pell uh, being implicated, being arrested, and then uh, what will happen with this story. But, uh, you know, it's just Gets people asking about the Brownlow medal again, and Dane Zorka, the Brisbane Lions captain, had some interesting comments. Before that, though, uh, let's get to Shane on the road. First up on Midday Madness. G'day, Shane.
5: Hey, bud. How you going?
4: I'm well. How are you?
5: Good, good. Um, Look, I think uh, think I'm a bit tired of Richard uh, Richmond and and Carlton always, or not always, but more times than not, getting the pick of the matches and, and whatnot. I mean... Why can't we do a, a, a you know, every the, the side that gets the wooden spoon comes up against the, you know, um, middle of the rank, you know, North Melbourne or or, or um, Carlton or Richmond, rather than the two big sides, and and make it a Thursday night. I'm just tired of seeing, you know, Richmond and and Carlton always opening the season. Give it a bit of variety, throw it around, you know, same as same as um you know, Easter weekend, you know, throw the games around a little bit, give it a bit more variety. I just think that um, start of last year was same, same to the last five years. That's why I think, you know, take away COVID protocols. I think the the start of the season was a bit boring.
4: I take your point, Shane, but don't we want to start the season with a bang? And if we had, say, okay, it's last year's example, North Melbourne are the Wooden Spooners and they played someone middle of the road. I mean, you could say Essendon this year, and there's obviously, you know, Brad Scott coming up against his old team. That would give it a little bit more sexiness, if you like. But don't we want to start the season with a big game, big crowd, instead of, you know, there's a risk that that sort of game would not attract many people, and, and maybe the TV audience would be down a little bit as well?
5: Well, i very first Swans, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, it's, been a, it's been a pretty good um, ride so for 25 years. Finished. Yeah, yeah, we have. I mean, um, you know, going after last year's grand final, I, 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 I don't want to see us uh, get another 80 points thrashing at the hands of such a mighty team in Geelong. Um, so that one's off the table for me. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I get your point, but I just think that... I think the big clubs have too much of the apple rather than giving the, the smaller clubs a little bit of a bite of the cherry more often. And... Thursday, a Wednesday night game to open the season—it's not conducive to kids mm. at school. I think Thursday is a better day, and you know, start the game at, you know, seven o'clock, not seven fifty, eight 8.00, o'clock, eight thirty. Make it conducive to families, and make it, maybe even make it a free round so that kids can get there.
4: Don't mind that idea. Don't mind that latter idea, Shane. Yes, certainly plenty to think about there. I agree. I think Thursday night uh, is better than Wednesday night. And yeah, 58,000 was a bit unders, but it is tough uh, on a Wednesday night. And look, I think that crowd would have been bigger towards the end of the season when some of the COVID protocols were dropped. Uh, thanks for kick-starting us today, Shane. A $50 Brick Lane Brewing Voucher coming your way. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, perfect for all occasions. And the ultimate crowd please at Drink responsibly. Let's go to Ben in Bandura. G'day, Ben.
6: G'day, Jules. How are you going? I'm good, mate. How are you? Oh, look, fantastic. Um, I'm a a Carlton supporter, and I'll put it out there. Um, Yeah, it's great having the Carlton Richmond on Round 1, but as a Carlton supporter, I'd rather have it on a Saturday afternoon because when you've got to get up at 5 o'clock the next day, it absolutely kills you. So if anyone else wants it, you can have it. I'm happy to have the Saturday afternoon game.
4: (laughs) Do you go on the Thursday night, or it's just too tough for you to go on that Thursday night?
6: No, I've i been every single one since I've been doing it. But by the time you get out of the ground and there's never been any public transport, you don't get home until 1 o'clock in the morning.
4: Yeah, that does make it tough. Well, I guess at least last year you were finally rewarded with a win. You went for 10 years and, and didn't get the chocolates once.
6: Yeah, I know. That's, that's, it is great, but it does take it... When you, like I said, when you got to get up 5 o'clock the next morning, it's hard. So... By all means, I would love to have just a Saturday afternoon, 1.45 in the afternoon be great.
4: Yeah, I take that point, and I understand. I love Thursday night footy, and I think it should be something we have in the fixture every week, and I think we'll get there eventually. But I I do understand for people that are really determined to go, and if they do have to get up early the next day, it it does make it difficult. Uh, Ben, thanks for your call. Eight in holes of golf for you and a mate. With a card at Club Mandalay, get 18 holes of golf or two with drinks and a cart midweek for just 99 bucks. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Uh, John from Port Melbourne wants to join in the conversation. G'day, John. G'day, how
7: are you going? I'm
4: good, how are you? Fantastic.
7: Look, I, just uh, a quick one. I was
0: um, listening to a guy earlier on saying about wanting to change clubs uh, to start off the season... Now, a lot of clubs that have these special um, days, they spend a lot of time and money to make it their own. So by chopping and changing, it it just loses. The clubs won't spend money
7: or or, um, follow up on their their special occasion and it will drop off.
4: So you're happy with it being Richmond, Carlton?
0: Oh, I am happy with yeah. uh, Richmond and Carlton. I'm happy with Essendon and Collingwood on Anzac Day. Look, they spend a lot of money they promoting the games. So why should they? Um, then if you chop and change, then the clubs won't spend the time and the money to promote the games, and then they lose they lose all the um the
4: nostalgia of them. Yeah, I so I, I think that's Richmond. Where I'm coming yeah, from. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think Richmond Carlton works. And look, I understand about you want to give other clubs a piece of the pie, but we've seen the AFL will reward clubs when they get their act together. We've seen it with Melbourne. There's no way you would have scheduled Melbourne as a season opener five or six years ago, but that they got everything together. They won a flag and they got it last year. And we've seen that you'll get the time slots, the marquee time slots uh, when you start winning and particularly playing some attractive footy as well. So I think it all uh, comes your way in time. And the AFL has shown that. Let's get to Darren in uh, Jack in Churnside Park. G'day, Jack.
1: G'day, Jules. How you going, I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, just, um, just to respond to a previous call over the Saturday afternoon uh, fixture of Richmond Carlton, I don't mind the idea, but the only problem would be crowd attendance due to park cricket and district cricket uh, mm-hmm. finals are generally around that time of year. Um, but uh, one thing I will say uh, is uh, if we were to change it up or spice up round one, I reckon it should be a bit of a rivalry round mainly for the interstate teams, so they don't actually have to travel for round one. They mm-hmm. can prepare on their home deck and, and give us the, the best possible game and best possible build-up for a showdown, Western Derby, Q Clash, Battle of the Bridge. I think, I think that'd be fantastic for the game. But, yeah, I, I'm a doggy supporter, and I was there last uh, round one this year uh, for the uh, grand final replay, and I will agree with you, it was underwhelming, I think, because of the Wednesday night, yeah. um, the crowds were down. I think we would have got a bigger crowd had that have been the Friday fixture. So uh, Wednesday night's a no for me and Richmond Carlton will be an absolute ripper to start off next season. Mate.
4: Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think the timing of it is perfect because this is the, the most anticipated Richmond Carlton game we've probably seen since they first opened the season in 2008, probably the only one that would match it because of the theater around it was 2009 when Ben Cousins uh, made his debut and, Unfortunately for the Tigers, they got flogged and he ripped his hamstring. But I remember the build-up to that game was massive. But this is going to be huge next year. There'll be people tipping both of these teams are capable of winning the premiership. So it's going to be a big, big round one next year. Thanks for your call. Uh, Jack, uh, Signet Boost Power Bank, valued at 59 coming your way. Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet and earbuds powered. 24 hours a day. Thank you, Rod. Uh, let's get to before the break, uh, Darren in Blackburn. G'day, Darren. <coughs> Yeah,
8: good day, Great to speak you again. You too, mate. Um, sorry, might be coming through a bit uh, a bit rustly here because I'm out in the rain at the moment. That's okay. Um, I love I love the Carlton Richmond at season opener. I don't follow either team, um, but I always go to this one. I go with my mad Richmond supporting mate because it's a great spectacle, the great atmosphere. We've been waiting for the season to happen for a long time. And as you rightly say, I mean, there's a new element to it now because both teams are very capable of winning the flag, so I'm looking forward to that one. However, I do have issues with the with the compromised draw and the fact that the AFL schedule uh, certain teams they've got to play each other twice, you know, with the derbies and the showdowns, and you know, now that Carlton are up and about, you can back it in. There's two Collingwood Carlton games. Um, uh, yeah, so I I think we need to have some consistency with the draw. Four old North Melbourne have played Geelong twice in the last two seasons, when Geelong's been preliminary finals and Premiers, um, and, you know, they've got to come up against them twice, so I think we need to find some equity in the draw, so that uh, teams that are down the bottom aren't finding themselves unluckily scheduled to come up against teams in the top six a couple of times, so I would like to see that, but Richard
4: Carlton, bring it on! Yeah, I agree. It's going to be massive. Look at yeah, twenty, twenty-two or twenty-three matches next year. Eighteen teams. You got to, you got broadcasters. You got to satisfy. You got, you know, attendances. You want to be big. It's very hard to get an equitable draw. One day, if we get to twenty teams, uh, hopefully we can just play each other once, and uh, that will put that uh, to bed. Thanks for your call, Darren. Once you jump back inside. a mystery craft beer bundle. Thanks to Harry Dog coming your way, the largest range of alcohol online delivered. HarryDog.com. Tim for Brighton, we'll get to you on the other side of the break. This is Midday of call. You call, you get on. We're talking round one, the season opener, but we can talk about anything uh, you like in the world of sport. Hawks fans, have you heard Andy Gowes this morning uh, on with Jared. So we had Peter Nankerville last week, Andy Gowes this week. Any thoughts? Are you going to vote If you are, which way are you going to vote? You can give us a call as well. one 736 -736.
2: You're listening to Afternoons. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly.
3: Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN.
2: Welcome back to the
4: show. We're chatting the season opener. Jake Nile reporting it. We'll go back to Richmond and Carlton next year on a Thursday night. Of course, this season we started with the grand final rematch. Not a replay. Grand final rematch between Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. A heap of correspondence on the 40 Winks uh, temper. People complain about it, but Richmond Carlton is definitely the right game to open the season. Always draws a big crowd, says Mark from Vermont. Hi, Carlton versus Richmond season opener. Boring, why reward two fair-weather supporter groups? Thanks, Glenn. I'm not sure they're fair-weather supporter groups. Uh, Forget Carlton versus Richmond as the opener. It's never made sense, even if Carlton are halfway relevant again, says Fizz. Uh, Grand final rematch every time. Richmond and Carlton have the two most insufferable fan bases. No matter who wins, everyone else loses because day one of the new season, all we hear about is how that team is now premiership favourite, has the Brownlow medalist, Coleman medalist, etc. Ban them, says James in black, but no, James. Look at it on the positive. One of them has to lose. So that's quite enjoyable that one of them is it one even before your team has kicked the ball out in anger. So that's a bit of a snapshot. Another one here. Start the season on a Wednesday night with the Swans and Lions. Two strong clubs in Frontier States. No NRL on a Wednesday night. Or would that not be big enough for Victorians, says Mick in Brisbane. I'm a Richmond fan. I'm a Richmond fan. I love the traditional grand final rematch, says another one uh carlton and collingwood first round would be fantastic uh so there's a whole heap of correspondence there we'll keep working through them uh as the day unfolds let's get back to the open line of course midday madness. You call you get on for melbourne roadside rescue put the wrong fuel in your car josh jenkins visit upshipcreek.com.au. let's get to tim in brighton He wants to change the topic to the hawks g'day tim yeah
7: good afternoon jules thanks for the show I, I want to ask your opinion about what's going on at hawthorne i'm really I'm not a Hawthorne supporter I'll put that up front, but i'm really perplexed at what's going on there with Jeff Kennett They've got the currently the investigation going on they've got uh, the' short of funding at their at their new training center and now with the um, the board issues that, that are at, with Andy Gower and, and, and uh, the presidency up for running uh, old Jeffrey Kennett's Piped in about James Molino. Mm. And not only that, not only
4: that, he piped in at eleven fifteen p.m. on social media last night. Yeah, well, Andy Gow's made the point the other day when he had sort of a, a bit of a forum for the uh, Hawksford Change Group that uh, he believes some of that late night tweeting from Jeff Kennett has cost them funding. He's been critical of the, of the Labor government that uh, he he says it's cost them a guaranteed ten million. That's now up in the air. He's also said that some other wealthy benefactors have backed away. Uh, he's also complained that it looks like they're going to move in later to that new facility than first was thought. Uh, so that, that's his that's his big point, Andy Gows. If, if you vote for Peter Nankerville, you, he's saying it's a proxy for Jeff Kennett. So if you heard him on today, we'll play some audio later just outlining, you know, some of the things he want to change. He certainly supports Sam Mitchell and the direction the team is taking in terms of their youth policy. But it'll be interesting to see, I think it's around about 12% of club members normally vote in an election so it would be interesting to see what percentage of the Hawthorne fan base are engaged enough to actually vote between now and December 13. But it, it's it's a tough one to call uh, who will come out on uh, top in this one, whether it's Andy Gowes or Peter Nankerville. Thanks for your call. Tim, let's get to uh, Max in Newport. G'day, Max. Hey, how you going? Good, mate. How are you?
0: Yeah, good, good. I just wanted to go back to the round one uh, fixturing. I personally love Thursday night and Wednesday night footy. Train scheduling. Do you think that there's more that could be done to help accommodate for you know young families and people who've got work just to get them home faster? I know you just you just end up waiting ages at Flinders Street or at Jolly Mont or wherever you're getting home. Do you think there's more that could be done to help accommodate for that?
4: I don't know the answer. I'd hope so, and it, it is a big issue. You're right because you know Thursday night footy when you've got kids, young families, or, or as our caller said earlier. If you've got to start work early the next day, obviously you want to get home uh, asap. So you don't want any delays on on public transport, and you don't want traffic around the stadium so much. So yeah, it is difficult. I'm I'm not. I haven't caught the train to the footy for a night game for a while, so I'm not sure exactly what the issues are. But yeah, obviously you want people home as close, you know, as quick as you can. And look, really at the end of the day, I, I, as much as people don't like it, Thursday night footy is. Uh, it's a lot about the TV audience more than the people that are turning up on the ground. I know people don't like that, um, but um, that's sort of the reality of it with with Thursday night footy. Uh, Max, thanks for your call. And because you're from the beautiful suburb of Newport, Rod, just over the Westgate Bridge, turn left. I know you don't like going over the Westgate, but that is Newport, just tucked in between Spotswood and Williamstown, beautiful part of town. Uh, a mystery craft beer bundle thanks to Harry Dog, the largest range of alcohol online delivered at hairydog.com. Muzzer, hang on, we'll get to to you after we check in with April in the newsroom what is it with you and Peter Andre Rod? seriously just for the listening audience out there I have nothing to do with the choice of music and there's certainly one song it wouldn't even be in the top thousand if I was trying to pick a song to come out of the news. Uh, before we get to Muzzer, you heard the comments there from Dane Zorko uh, today up there with uh, Pat and Heels about... He wasn't saying it should change, but he's sort of suggesting it might be an idea to change. And this ha- happens quite a bit where there's some sort of controversy around the Brownlow medal. And obviously, this is one we've never seen uh, before about uh, whether the umpires should still be the people to vote on the Brownlow medal. Now, he's not the only one... To share this opinion today, Mason Cox took to Twitter, always confused as to why umpires decide the Brownlow. You would think someone watching the game would have a better idea of the impact someone has than someone that should be busy adjudicating the game live. Uh, Grant Thomas uh, also had his say. Never a big fan of the umpires, Grant Thomas. What an incredibly appropriate time to take Brownlow voting away from umpires. Terribly inappropriate for a host of logical reasons and appoint independent people assigned to every game to vote on most influential impacting players, not just possessions and midfielders. I couldn't disagree more. This was put in in 1924 as an award that the umpires vote on. We've got a whole heap of awards that are voted on by experts. We've got Coaches Association. We've got AFL, PA. This is what the Brownlow is. It is decided by the umpires. And people whinge about it. Oh, it's a midfielder's medal and you can't get any votes as a key position player. Yeah, that's true. And we'd love to see that change. But you know what? Go through a lot of the media awards, go through the Coaches Association, go through the Players Association. Midfielders are winning those awards as well. So I I think it's a bit unfair to label that at the umpires that they're just voting for midfielders. It doesn't need to change. That is what the award is. It is unique. We've got a whole heap of other awards that are voted on, as I say, by experts, coaches, players and the like, media we don't need to change the brown line. So anyway, that's my two cents on it. If you've got a thought, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 wants to join in and chat about the season opener. Muzz, given you're a Carlton man, I think I know which way you're going to go on this one. Well,
9: I've got three points or three things I'd like yep. to point out. The people that think Carlton and Richmond are fair weather teams last season, Richmond had a hundred thousand supporters and we had 87. Um, That gentleman that rang up about Sydney, he forgets when Sydney were down the gurgler, Richmond, Carlton, Collingwood, Essendon, they were drawing crowds in the 70s and the 80s that gave the AFL the surplus that they had through the pandemic. And um, the crowds on um, the last 11 years, which I've gone every Thursday evening, I think the lowest crowd I sat in was about 49,000 and the biggest was 87,000. So those that think it's not worth it, um, just have a look at the finances and they've all been good games. Like Carlton have started poorly and come back in the second and third quarters against Richmond and still been beaten, but they've been the biggest winning margin Richmond's beaten Carlton by is twenty seven points. And last season of course we cracked it, you know, we won. Mr. Richmond that rings in every week, he was so sarcastic and thought he was <laughs> so funny because we beat them. Um, so we should have Thursday nights. The only thing is, Jules, I have family that live at Lawn at a night game. Do you know what time they get home?
4: Uh, pretty late, I'd Fort imagine, Muz. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. The
9: because the AFL holds the traffic for an hour after the game. The crowd, The car traffic doesn't get let out until an hour after the game. So we need to look at maybe could the, the state government, the AFL get together and, maybe build a a bridge or a tunnel to the station so that the carpet traffic can be let out straight after the game. But go Blues in 2023.
4: Ah, beautiful, muzzle I think you make a good point. I think everyone looks at the fact Richmond beat Carlton, you know, 10 years in a row. But a lot of the margins weren't that much of a blowout. So they weren't actually terrible games of football. Uh, Bill in Docklands wants to have a chat about Dane Zorko's comments. G'day, Bill.
9: Um yeah you know, mate, I'm enjoying the show, but I nearly drove off the road when I heard Dane Zorko say mm-hmm. that um, because an umpire is involved in this uh, controversy, that this is another reason why they shouldn't vote on the Brownlow. They're, they're two completely irrelevant discussions. If you have anyone on any panel, they're a human being, and they're open to making a mistake, coercion, whatever the reason is. It's irrelevant whether it's an umpire, a journalist, or an ex footballer. I think he needs to start a comedy hour or something.
4: Well, Bill, it's really interesting you say that because uh, thanks to the temper texture it pointed out said make Log back onto Mason Cox Twitter and have a look at Nathan Buckley's reply. So I did. And Nathan Buckley says to Mason Cox, doesn't remove the temptation for people to share information for their own gain, Coxie. This situation shows that the AFL's integrity systems and others are operating well. You can't stop people making bad decisions, but you can make them accountable. So you're spot on, Bill. They are completely different arguments, uh, those two, from what's happened with um, the arrest of the umpire, uh, Michael Powell, and the investigation into this apparent lead leaking um, to whether they're the right people to give the votes. It's it's a totally uh, separate argument. Thanks for your call. Uh, 18 holes of golf for you and a mate with a cart. Get 18 holes of golf for two with drinks and a cart midweek for just 99 bucks. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Let's get another breakaway. Anthony Rocker, the former magpie, former swan. uh, He's going back to where it all started to the TAC Cup and his junior club, the Northern Knights. We'll speak to Anthony after the break.
3: Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell.
4: Welcome back to the show. Plenty of time for your calls a little bit later on. We're going to check in with Anthony Rocker, a starred for the Northern Knights back in the early 90s. So much so, he was picked two in the 1994 draft. We go. A long way ahead, 28 years. it will be 29 years uh, next year, and he's going to be coaching the Northern Knights in the NAB League next year. And Anthony's been good enough to join us. Hello, Anthony.
10: Thanks, Julian. Jeez, you're making me feel old now.
4: And making me feel old as well, mate. Don't worry about that. Uh, how did this role come okay. about?
10: Uh, well, I got, uh, I got wind of it um, a couple of months ago that um, a lot of the NAB League roles would be uh, coming up. Um, and at the time, my role at the North Melbourne um, got stopped where I wasn't coaching there anymore and myself and Heath Uni made, where I were pushed out the door and um, we, um, I got the opportunity to have an interview um, for the role at the Northern Knights and um, yeah, it took four weeks for them to come back with an answer but I was, um, I'm was, i really grateful for it.
4: Is it nice to be going back to a club that you've got an association with?
10: Yeah, well that, when they asked the question in your, um, in your interview, what, what role? What What's your preference? Preference one, two, and three? Like I pretty much had Northern Knights preference one, two, and three. So I really want to go back there. It's uh, It's been a club that gave me so many opportunities in my football and and in life. Um, and I'm really looking forward to creating a program with Natalie Grindle and Alana Dickey, who's the the female coach, um, to um, create a great program and and hopefully we get some some players who are good enough um, that can that can aspire to either be AFL players or be better league uh, local football players or play VFL. You know, we just want to make them better people.
4: Is this the first time you would have coached your own team?
10: Yes, yep. it will be. I've been in for oh, 12, 13 years um, in that area. So it fits pretty well, um, you know, in, in the NAB league, you know, we're not too fussed if we win or lose, but we want to we develop these boys as best that we can. So development is, you know, is what I'm best suited for, which is, which is something I'm really looking forward to doing.
4: You mentioned your time at North Melbourne. Were you disappointed that came to an end? I think it was only about six days after Alistair Clarkson was appointed, yourself and, and Heath and, and Dan McPherson were we'll let go. Did you think there was still an opportunity for, for you to keep your job there at Arden Street?
9: Uh, we
10: always knew there was going to be some form of change um and luckily for myself and heath it was it was me and him um, look i was disappointed at the time so i still had another year to run and um and I, I formed really good connections with the players and staff and and things like that so yes i was disappointed but um you know that's that's football you know things things happen in those regards people move on people come in new coaches come new head coaches come all the time so um it's just it's just
4: the way of the land is coaching your own team something you've always wanted to do?
10: Uh not not particularly. No, it hasn't um, been on my radar. But once the um, the Northern Knights opportunity come along, um, look, it is my own team. But I, I'm working really closely with with Alana Dickey, who's a yep. female coach. She's yep. been involved with uh, women's football for for a long time and in the NAB League, and she's done great things over over in WA as well. And and Matt Grindles. The head lead talent lead at um, at the Knights as well, who's who are going to be fantastic to work with, and um, look look, it sets a great platform for myself and Alana to create uh, a program that we want, which is which is fantastic. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the, the wins and losses are irrelevant. Mm. It's, it's the development of these, of these young adults that we're um, we're looking to create.
4: Because he had, am I'm right, Lee Clark was looking after both programs last year, wasn't he, at the night?
10: Yeah, it was, that was amongst all the um, all the NAB League teams, so the head coach there did the, the women's and the men's, and it was, and it was a huge role, and um, the AFL seemed fit to um, to go back to the men's, so uh, individual coach for the men, and the coach for the ladies, and... Um, and then the coach for the futures under 16s team. So um, I think that's the best way to go about it. To tell you the truth, it gives us an opportunity um, to create our own coaching teams um, and to, develop, to give these kids the best opportunity to develop through um, through multiple coaches.
4: We're well, speaking to Anthony Rocker, new coach of the Northern Knights uh, in the NAB League next year. What are your memories of your time at the Knights? Because it was really the early days of the TAC Cup competition as it was known back then. I mean. How, how professional was it compared to what we would see today? What are your memories of your time spent in the, in the early days of that competition?
10: Um, well, well, it was the marquee competition out of, and which it still is now, out of the AFL and the VFL. Um, and what I remember back then is we had we had some terrific players come through that era, you know, the likes of Blake Carousella, Daniel Harford, Um, Chris Johnson, Jared Malloy, and I got to play with a lot of those wonderful players at the time and the Northern Knights back then was a powerhouse like there was so many so many young players recruited from there and went on to play really good local footy and VFL footy the the biggest thing I remember is that was my one and only premiership as a a football player so I got I played in 94 Um, that's when they went, I think they went um, they did a four piece um, back then. So it um, was a really good development program led by uh, Keith
4: Burns. Yeah, absolute legend in, in that uh, space of footy is Keith Burns. Interesting, just I ask you, I mean, obviously you dealt with Jason Horn Francis this year. There's a lot of talk around this year's draft and players that were, were traded back to their home states after a couple of years. And, and, I mean, it's fair to say when you were drafted by the Swans, you weren't particularly keen to go. So it still seems like it's – how big an issue is it – in the AFL right now, that clubs might be reluctant to select a player that's uh, not from their home state with the fear that they might want to go home sooner rather than later.
10: Yeah, it's an interesting issue. Um, At the time when I got drafted, like I I told clubs that I wasn't interested and I didn't want to go. And um, pretty much after a couple of years, I'm, I'm coming back home. And that's, that's the way I felt back then. And, you know, kids deal with it differently, you know, some kids are, are really love the fact of going over uh, interstate and, um, you know, travelling there and being a part of the program and um, really sinking their teeth into it. But at the time, that wasn't for me. Um, now it, it is It is a tough issue. Um, I think all the teams have just got to create an environment where, you know, they create the best program possible where the, some guys are going up. I'm staying here. They've got a great program, a great bunch of people and, and teammates and, and a great surrounding and um, just want to be involved with the program.
4: Two quick ones on the nights before I let you go, Anthony. Uh, Dom off our text machine. He's just keen to know how much you know about the kids you got there next year and uh, the nephew of Josh Caddy, Nate Caddy, is uh, potentially going to be in your side next year. Know anything about Nate?
10: Uh, just briefly. Um, and I don't really want to single out too many because I don't know too much <laughs> about the young kids at the moment. And it you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be nice of me to single out one, one, one person to, before I actually get to know most of them. So um, I've heard a little bit about Nate. And he will be a great prospect, but um, I'll leave my judge, judgment to at least another couple of months until I've um, had a good training base with him.
4: You're already speaking like a coach, Anthony. And the most important question <laughs> last from Andrew, will you be teaching the players how to make a jaffle?
10: Oh, well, I think we're going to have to
4: leave that one, I reckon. That's <laughs> going to follow you everywhere, uh, that Jaffel. I might, get, I
10: might get Sav in for one uh, for a session to, um, to take that one.
4: A cooking class with Sav and Anthony Rocker. That sounds great. Uh, Anthony, congratulations on the appointment. Uh, beautiful to go back to a place. You got such uh, fond memories. Uh, good luck in 2023.
10: Cheers, mate. Thank you.
4: Great to chat to Anthony Rocker, new coach of the Northern Knights in the NAB League.
3: Need help getting your builders' registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program.
4: Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us for the second hour, welcome Julian De Stoop, sitting in for Dwayne Russell. As we mentioned before the news, uh, a couple of big announcements uh, in Adelaide with the Premier Peter Malinowskis and Gil McLaughlin last week announcing the so-called magic round will come to South Australia in April next year. And then yesterday, Greg Norman in town to announce that for the next four years, a Live Golf Tournament uh, will be held in Adelaide, the first one at the Grange Golf Club from April 21 to 23 next year, which coincidentally, Greg Norman claimed his first professional victory at that course in 1976. So time for a coffee catch-up for Mackers. Pop into Mackers for 30 days, 30 deals. One man that he doesn't need any caffeine, no doubt about that, is uh, Channel 9 Adelaide sports reporter, presenter, host extraordinaire, Tom Wren, who joins us. Hey, Tommy.
11: Jules, great to be on board. No, you're right. I probably don't need one, but I, I'd love one right now anyway, just to keep me buzzing a little bit more.
4: So what are you most excited about, Tom? Are you excited about the the so-called magic round, uh, the live yep. golf, or the glut of cashies that will come your way to host events <laughs> around these events?
11: Well, hopefully the cashies, Jules. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just hoping to jump on that gravy train and just, you know, lather myself in it. But, um, what I'm most looking forward to, I think, is that you've got no more excuses not to come here, Jules. So, you know, you've been fobbing me off for a few years now. You're going to be over here front and centre. I'm going to take you around. I want you to have 10 or 12 days off, <laughs> and uh, hopefully Hutchie's able to give you a little bit of leave, and, and I'm going to take you to some of the beautiful wineries, and we're going to paint the town every single colour.
1: <laughs> I'd love, uh, to, but
4: love look, to do seriously,
11: that. Seriously, Jules, um, it's a really good question. Of the two, um, look, love the AFL. You and I, you and I both... Um, have, you know, covered it and worked together um, and, you know, on the beat for a long time and it's glorious, you know, we're so lucky to have the game we do but I think because we've been starved at, you know, professional golf tournaments, you know, really top line players and I know people will have their opinions on Liv but particularly in South Australia to get the calibre of players that are coming out um, you know, that that really is um, floating my boat. I cannot wait for that to see the likes of Kepka and Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith, you know, in the town, the whole travelling circus, um, I really can't wait to see how that all shapes for as much the off course as what we're going to get on it as well.
4: Has there been any blowback about it being a Live Golf event? We know Live Golf divides opinion from, you know, what it's doing to golf to where the money's coming from. Has there been any blowback on Talkback Radio, for example, over the last 24 hours or not?
11: Yeah, there has and been some strong opinions, you know, in the local paper over here, the advertiser, um, which is understandable, Jules, given, you know, we know that it's a Saudi-backed organisation. That said, I I think it has been overwhelmingly positive or much more positive than negative. Um, So I I think it's definitely in the positive favour. And I think it's because, you know, much like Melbourne, WA, you know, um, enormously parochial. And you know that, Jules, you've, you've been here many times to call football and cover sports. It's a very parochial town. So, you know, when we get to showcase something, I think generally um, people get behind it. Yes, there has definitely been opinions and, you know, talkback callers that have been against it. But I would say if I had to put a percentage on it, Jules, from what I've seen, read and heard, 75, 25, maybe even 80, 20, positive
4: what What sort of money is this costing the state to stage both of these events and i'm I'm assuming they'll expect uh, the return will be greater than the output
11: exactly right, so Jules they've got a forty million dollar fund and which which they've said is their major events fund, which they was an election promise. The premier Peter Malinowskis, who you touched on, they said we're going to use this and we 're going to get some big events so they've obviously had to dip into this forty million I think it's around the twenty million for the two combined. Um, maybe slightly, you know, give or take a little, but I think it's roughly half of that 40 mil. So, yep, there's also people saying, why are we paying, you know, such, you know, healthcare, hospitals, etc., roads, which always need, you know, improving. But again, I think people, given the magnitude of AFL and how important that is in this town um, and that it's an international um, stage, now it's on, I guess, people of SA to really show up at both, you know, that, festival of footy, the magic round which is yet to be determined for a name, and also the live tournament. And I think they're confident Jules, they'll make that you know say 20 million many times over. you know I think they're hoping for 70 million plus across the two weeks with tourism, you know, what people put back into the economy, spending, hospitality. Um, so hopefully it's a real big win. and I do too, you know I, personally, Jules, I want us to to go after big events, mm. you know to, to hope like Melbourne does it consistently. You know, let's let's put our hands up there and host some big stuff and and really say, you know, why not us? You know, I know, you know, Melbourne, Sydney are, are much bigger and host big stuff all the time. But why not, you know, put your hands up and, and showcase some of the best of what we've got to offer. You
4: know, you got the V8s coming back in a couple of weeks, which is a, a big event uh, for Adelaide yeah. as well. Speaking to Tom Wren uh, from Channel 9 uh, over in Adelaide, just on this so-called Magic Round. heard anything about how it's going to be fixtured? We know it's not going to be a showdown between Port Adelaide and Adelaide. That makes sense to spread those games out. Any idea how it will be fixtured? And and what sort of support do you think there will be for games not featuring the two local teams?
11: Great question. I reckon, Jules, it'll start on the Thursday night, which is the 13th. They'll have one of the two sides playing. So I would expect it's probably Crows, given their higher drawings. I reckon they want to hit this thing with a bang. I, I would think like a Crows, Collingwood. You know, they want a big drawing team, yep. Jules, that they know they can get 45,000, 50,000 and everyone will go, wow, okay, this thing's, you know, we're a uh, So I would, you know, whether it's Essendon, Carlton, Collingwood, if I, if I was a betting man, Jules, and you know I am, sadly, um, I would say probably a Collingwood and Crows. Then I think, you know, a Port and another high-drawing team on another evening... Friday night. I reckon they'll have double. Hit. They're going to have some double. There's six games at Adelaide Oval. Jules two at sample Grounds. Like Norwood is um, an early favourite. Norwood Oval, obviously Norwood, a very strong sample team over here, and then one in the Barossa is the most likely scenario. That would probably be like a North Melbourne GWS. I'm plucking two two tens yep. here. I don't know this, or it might be West Coast and
3: uh,
11: you know Fremantle. Or probably not a. Western Derby, but something like that, where if you could get four or five thousand at a suburban ground, it's got to sound great and look great. So it might be two of those lower drawing teams.
4: Excuse my ignorance, Tommy, but is there a quality venue in the Barossa? Like, where would that game be played? Yeah,
11: it's they've got the local grounds there, and clearly they'd have to make sure the grounds are AFL, you know, standard in terms of size, quality. Etc. But yes, they've got a couple of really nice grounds up there, uh, pundab, Angaston. Um, but I, no doubt they're going to have to, you know, get the AFL to tick that off and and make sure that's all okay. Just speaking with a few people from government, etc. They're pretty confident that will be the case. Um, you know, it, it's pride of place, as you know, you know, football grounds locally here. But yeah, that's going to have to be something that will get AFL verification but pretty confident, Jules, that won't be an issue.
4: And and with the golf, well, what sort of crowds are expected? We know when we've had the President's Cup here in Melbourne, you know, we've been lucky enough to host it three or four times. They've been enormous. Remember, la- uh, 2019, yep. the crowds were unbelievable. What sort of crowds are we expecting and, and what sort of capacity can you get into a course like the Grange?
11: That That is a real... Like I'm, I was actually going to sort of say what... My question was to you, what kind of crowds did you get for those President's Cup? The the good thing they've got there, Jules, is that it's two courses at Grange. And my understanding is the way they're going to work it is there's an east and a west course. And Greg Norman actually designed the east course many, many years ago.
0: They're both beautiful,
11: you know. Um, They're going to play the back nine of each. So the back nine of the west and the back nine of the east. And that's more an aesthetic thing. And also to make sure they can get grandstands, you know, on the 18th. Which wherever they finish, um, so there is plenty of room because you know you, you've literally got two courses there, so there won't be an issue. I don't think with room in terms of ticket sales. I, I know yesterday they went on sale. They they put reserve um, pricing on hospitality and also three day packages, and it sold out um, on the first day. So I, I know they've since released more, um, but I think it will go really well. I'm, I'm hoping, Jules. What I'm really hoping is that people like yourself, um, your mates, you know, the listeners that are, that are tuning in today, sort of say, let's get to Adelaide. Let's make a bit of a trip. You know, I probably sound like I'm working for the government here, but I, I just hope people get on board and say, you know what, let's head to Adelaide, see this great tournament, um, and and just check it out. Um, so I think that's what the government's hoping for, but I think they're hoping to really still live golf. I don't know what you could fit into a golf course, to be honest, but I would think you'd want, want 10000 a day.
4: Jules. Yeah, I think so. I think you'd get that. Yep, I, I'd agree. Now, you had the, the uh, I guess the pleasure of interviewing Greg Norman yesterday. How'd you find that? I remember I, I got the chance to interview Greg, I think it was about 2011, <laughs> ahead of a, a President's Cup, and that he's got an aura about him that not many people do. Did you, did you feel oh. that?
11: Spot on. Like, when, I've, I've worked in the industry about 20 years now, Jules, and, you know, you're talking to elite athletes, we're very privileged daily, you know, and guys with a, that are big, everyone's big to me. Um, but, you know, guys that are in the AFL world are, are really big and, and strong and they have a natural physical presence, but just spot on. I was only saying to a few people yesterday, it's the first time in a while, but they're all just people and, you know, they're people that do things exceptionally well, but you know, um, they're just people. Greg had a charisma and an aura. I reckon I've only felt a few times. Um, and I've got to be honest, one of them who I interviewed early when I worked in Melbourne over there with you, Jules, Gary Lyon when I first met him had a presence and an aura about him.
4: You like that. Um,
11: Graham Korn. Yeah, <laughs> Graham <laughs> Korn, someone who just always has an aura about him as well. Um, and I'd, I'd put Greg Norman just for whatever reason, just the way he carried himself, the way he spoke. Um, he's got an He he looks incredible for his age. He's one of the handful of people where I I was physically uh, and mentally a little bit intimidated, if Mm -hmm. that makes
4: sense. Yeah, no, I know the feeling. There's something about him that not many people have. Hey, just one on the footy front before I let you go. Um, Jason Horne-Francis. I mean, when he was over here, there was plenty of spotlight on him, of course, being a number one pick, and it didn't all go well at North Melbourne. But just give us us a sense of what's it going to be like for him in Adelaide next year. Two-team town. He's coming back home. Expectations are high. What sort of focus is going to be on, on Jason Horn Francis?
11: Huge. It's got to be enormous, Jules. I mean, Port Adelaide, overwhelmingly, we're all experts, aren't we? We think we're experts looking in. And I think most people agree that Port did a really good job in the trade period. But there is no doubt, given the, the hype, the spotlight, the speculation, the fact that he only stayed at North Melbourne for one year, he's a number one pick. It's enormous. Um, people are expecting pretty big things, and Jules, I think, extend that further. It's not just on Jason Horn Francis, but it's on Port Adelaide no. strongly, and that's not just here. I think that's I think that's around the country. Given you know Ken Hinkley's contract situation, I think he'll be a very very good player. But there is no doubt in my mind he comes with a, a high degree of expectation, and that's going to be fierce. I mean, Melbourne Melbourne's tough because when the spotlight comes, it comes hard. There's so many journalists and organisations. But in Adelaide, it's it's less so in terms of the volume of people that are scrutinising you. But in terms of the glare, it's just as fierce because we are a fishbowl over here. So it will come. And I think Port Adelaide very much from the first month of the season. They're the team everyone's watching to see how they go. A little bit on Junior Rioli, but very much on Jason Horn Francis. I, I hope for his sake he performs and to Ken Hinckley because there will be a lot of scrutiny and it'll come early.
4: Yep, it's going to be a must-watch. Tommy, as always, thank you so much for your time. If you just keep one of the wings in your palatial residence over there free, I'll grab a bunk bed and I'll come over for uh, (laughs) a magic round and maybe stay for the golf as well. If you can just give me a wing in your house, that would be awesome.
11: Jules, you are free anytime. Bring Hawley over. Clickety-clickety-clack. <laughs> Miles Fitzner, JJ, Josh Bring them all over. You're all welcome. In fact, bring a heap of the listeners. Run a competition. Stay at my joint. You'll be broke by the end of it, but we'll have a... Bloody good time, Jules.
4: Oh, that. that would be some sort of competition. Tommy, always great to chat. Uh, that was a coffee catch-up for Mackers. Mackers thirty days, thirty deals. Find out today's delicious deal only on the My Mackers app. Let's get a break away. Uh, time for some of your calls on the other side. Anything you want to talk about? We're talking about the the brown low. Should it still be? Um, adjudicated by the umpires talking about round one should it be back to richmond carlton next year which it appears it's going to be uh, anything you want to chat about give us a call 1300 736 736 on the werribee kia open line awarded national kia car dealer of the year werribee kia makes buying cars easy
3: master builders victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell.
4: Welcome back to the show. Let's get back to your calls. Uh, Andrew in Hyatt is first up. Good, to Andrew. Hey, Jules.
6: Hey, just for the AFL and Magic Ground potentially playing in the Barossa, they should go all out and do what the Major League Baseball do with that put them in the cornfield.
4: Oh, yes. A, yes. Throw
6: an oval out in the winery. It's going to be awesome.
4: That would be spectacular. Absolutely. I love, yeah, I love what they do over in the States uh, with that. That's a very good suggestion. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to pass that on to Tommy Wren, see if we can uh, put some pressure on the government uh, to get that done. Because, yeah, I don't know anything about the venues out in the Barossa, but that would be pretty uh, sensational if they could do that. Thanks for your call, Andrew. Let's get to, well, someone that might know it a bit better over there is Sean in Renmark in SA. G'day, Sean. G'day, Jules. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you?
7: Not too bad. Hey, just a couple of points so I can raise them. Uh, talk, the guys earlier talking about the Brownlow medal votes and taking away from the umpires. I think it's just a
5: big overreaction.
7: Of course I it think, is. You know, babe, I, I, I reckon the I reckon umpires get it right nine times out of ten. Take away the Carl Amell and stuff this year when he got both points. <laughs> I don't know how he did, no, I reckon they've got it right pretty good. No, no one's going to argue with Paddy Tripp's getting, getting the Brownlow. No one's going to argue with Lockie Neal. No one's going to argue with Lockie Wines. I reckon they do a pretty good job.
4: Yeah, I don't. Oh, I, don't I don't remember oh, many. Oh, uh, I don't remember many duds finishing in the top five of the Brownlow, um, Sean.
7: No, nah, that's right. No, that's right. I, 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 yeah, they, they do a pretty good job. And like you said earlier, all the guys, all the guys winning the MVP awards and the Coach awards. I well, the same blokes anyway. They've always finished
4: top two and three in the Brownlow. So I reckon the do a pretty good job Yep, 100%. 100%. Uh, before you ask your next question, Sean, uh, do you know much yeah. about what the venue would be like in the Barossa Valley if there's a game played in this Magic Round? It'd be the one
7: at the Nearing. They use it on the weekend. Well, they would have used it on the weekend for the Strikers' um, B, uh, BBL games. They're, they're, they're oh, games yes. it's yep. really, really good. If it, we, me and my boys have been there a couple of times watched watch the, the Strikers girls play there. It's a fantastic venue. Great location. Um, I reckon they've had SAFL games here before, and I've got a funny feeling. I reckon they've had a couple of uh, pre-season AFL trial games here too.
4: Okay, yep. yeah, oh, that makes sense. So they've got a pretty good venue yeah. uh, ready to go. What was the other point yeah. you wanted to make?
7: Um, just about the fixtures. Uh, we we'll talked talk about the first round fixtures. Yep. So, uh, I really hope the AFL look at, um, giving the showdowns and some of those interstate um, rivalry games, uh, standalone standalone events that we're, we're not passing on Saturday nights and Friday nights with other games. Um, it, the showdown in particular, the cracker of a game. I just think all the rest of the AFL nation needs needs need to um experience it. Uh, always a close games, always a bit of spice you know, it's always nice and lively, and then very rarely blowouts. I just, I just really hope the AFL consider giving them their standalone slots, and not competing with other games.
4: Oh, I couldn't agree more, Sean. I mean, and last year we had the, it was on a Friday night, but it was part of a double doubleheader. I couldn't agree more. It doesn't matter who you support. If that is on a Friday night, uh, it, whether it's Fremantle, West Coast, or Adelaide, Port Adelaide, you're watching. Because it is a must-watch game every year for all those reasons you put out. So I couldn't agree more. Sean, thanks for your call. Let's get to Dave in Richmond. G'day, Dave.
0: Hi, Joel. How are you?
4: I'm good, mate. How are you?
0: Good, good. Uh, on to the Hawthorne of Tasmania. I actually ran into Gillen McLaughlin. The, uh, obviously you obviously know who that is. Uh, on <laughs> I've heard of him. What was it? Uh, trickle, trickle treat night, Halloween. He was walking the street. Oh, was, uh, was he
4: dressed up? Correct. Was he dressed up? So
0: well, I pulled up and I actually grilled him about what's happening with the Tassie thing. And he was quite open and honest and saying, there's a little way to go. We need the Fed to get on board. The federal government's kind of said, they need a business case. They're dollars short. That's what Gillian said. I said, what's wrong with just fixing up blunt in the new Taz? And he said, the grounds are shit. He said, they're not up to scratch. And that's, that's me, him being very blunt and honest. So yeah. I'm not sure how to take that, but take for what you want. I think what? Hawthorne's got a big problem with culture within their club. They've got two issues going on, and they've also got their Tazzy deal to sort out, don't they?
4: They do, and uh, Andrew Gow spoke about that with Jared uh, today, that he is 100% behind Tassie getting their own team, and that means what it means for Hawthorne uh, is up in the air. He's actually down in Haw- uh, in Tassie earlier in the week uh, speaking to Hawthorne fans. Well, look, I think that's what Gillen told you is consistent with his message and the AFL's message. It, it's just, The stadium deal is a massive part of this. No stadium, uh, no team, and, and doing up the two venues that they've already got is, is not a... Is not uh an, an option. So um I'm not surprised that he did say that. Just o- on it, Dave, was uh just a bit more on spotting Gil trick or treating. Was he dressed up? Was he generous with the chocolates? What 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 was he doing? Um he was fine, he did behaviour. He was just looking
0: like a normal father walking around with his
5: kids
4: or whatever. Very good. Very good. Of course he would be. Uh not suggesting at all that uh he would be playing up. Just hoping he got uh, into the spirit of it. Dave, uh, thanks for your call. Uh, let's get to Sam in Keelor Downs. G'day, Sam.
12: Uh, Good on you, Julian. I'd like to talk about the umpiring situation with the the bet. Pete Shaw uh, yep. had, a, had a $10 bet, was suspended for six matches, which include finals and got a thousand dollars fine. Here, we have uh, an umpire, right? which I think is 100 times worse than what he sure has done. Because if the facts are proven, it not only brings into question uh, the actual bet, but it also brings into question his integrity and in his umpiring. Has he put on bets where he uh, deliberately paid three kicks or not paid three kicks? It goes completely uh, against the fabric of the game. And uh, I've got no doubt if he's found guilty, then he will never umpire again.
4: Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's a fair assertion, Sam. If, if what is alleged to have happened happened, uh, yeah, the umpire is in all sorts of trouble for all the reasons you say. Then we've seen, you know, Jaden Stevenson got a big suspension uh, for some some uh, bets that he put on a game that he was playing in, he's sure Nick Maxwell. There's been a whole heap uh, over the years. Him going back to I think Simon Goodwin uh, was way back uh, was uh, suspended and or fo- well, not suspended. I think he was fine. But yeah, I think no doubt the the umpire's future is in massive question uh, if he is found guilty. Sam, thanks so much for your call. Uh, plenty coming through still on the 40 Winks tempered text. 0433 11 16. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks serious about sleep. I love this one here. Um, not because he says love the show, uh, but I absolutely hate the idea of a grand final replay in round one. It's like having Djokovic play Nadal in the first match. You have to let the season build before putting the two best teams together. It sort of ruined the doggies last season in round one. Not sure about that. One of the best ever home and a mate matches was St. Kilda and Geelong in 2009 after they were both undefeated at round 14. Imagine if Sydney and Geelong had a similar build-up. Andrew Demetrio was always against it. So am I. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it has to be in round one. It doesn't have to be in the first two or three weeks. Make it a showcase game in a round a little bit later and let the team sort of get into the season. Sometimes the reigning premiers and the grand finals are a bit slow out of the block. So I think just let it, let it breathe a little bit and have it later on in the season. This is one talking about uh, umpiring before we get, To the news and rules, I've seen this a couple of times now. Eastern Footy League have dropped the stand rule. Outside the AFL, it has no effect whatsoever. Grand finals of the four state leagues had no scores over 100 and an average score of 53. Same for the top six suburban leagues in Victoria. Just a source of frustration for players and fans and only puts... Pressure on the umpires it finishes with hashtag just reduce the numbers on ground. So that's interesting that uh, one of the biggest metro leagues here in Melbourne have got rid of the stand rule. Simon Hill, uh, not too far away. Also, if you want to give us a bit of a shout out of someone's birthday, uh, Tobin Brothers Funerals are celebrating lives. Ge- call up and give a shout out to someone for their birthday. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Oh, you can't tell. A bit better on, and they're getting some love again off the Temper Text 40 Wings Temper. Keep the music coming, absolutely loving it. Now, at the start of the show, we talked about what we're a little competition we're sort of running over the next couple of days. The 24 best FIFA World Cup moments, thanks to Cars 24. Your next car is only a few clicks away. Don't wait for your next car. Your wheels directly to your door in seven days or less. I had plenty coming through, Uh, one saying Croatia knocking out England in the semi finals. Uh, four years ago, another one. I think they might have been tongue in cheek, suggesting the Vuvuzela at the South African World Cup was a highlight. I'm not sure that was a highlight uh, for many, but just to get you thinking, just get the ball rolling. I reckon the first World Cup I really remember watching intently was 1998 in France, so France eventually won the title on home soil. But there was a young Englishman that did this in a game against Argentina in the round of 16. There's always- He could be away here. Michael Owen, he's got goals with him. But it's still Owen. Oh, what a goal!
0: This 18-year-old has electrified the world.
4: Yeah, the voice of Martin Tyler, unmistakable. He just burst onto the scene at Liverpool at the end of that 97-98 season. And that, that goal put him on the world map. And he was a fantastic player for England, Michael Owen. But probably the goal of the tournament... Was later, it was against Argentina. It was in a quarterfinal. It was in the 90th minute. And it was scored by, I think he had a little stint at Arsenal. Can't remember. Dennis Burkamp.
0: Beautiful pull down by burkamp Oh, what a goal! Dennis Burkamp has won it for Holland. That was absolutely
4: Yeah, so there's a couple of memories there from 1998. If you've got any memories of uh, previous World Cups and uh, some of the highlights, of course, there's some unmistakable moments uh, with the Socceroos, particularly the game against Japan in 2006, Harry Kuhl's equaliser against Croatia, probably the two uh, that really stand out. Hopefully, we can make some more memories in this World Cup coming up. Speaking of that, after the break, we're going to speak to a man about the World Cup, a great... Um, weekend in the A-League. Obviously, the Matildas were sensational as well. Uh, He is the host of the global game on SEN, the voice of football in this country. Simon Hill coming up next.
2: Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly.
3: Access to the best in construction industry training call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. (laughs)
4: Welcome back to the show. Simon Hill, host of the Global Game, will join us in a second. Plenty coming through on the 40 Wings temper text. We're looking for the best 24 moments in FIFA World Cup history, thanks to Cars 24. Your next car is only a few clicks away. A few coming through. One of the more famous moments, definitely not great memories if you are Italian, Roberto Baggio, putting his penalty over the bar in the 1994 World Cup penalty shootout against Brazil. Uh, Burkamp is one of the best ever and an Arsenal legend, Jules. One of my favourites. I'm 47. First World Cup I remember in 1982 with Paolo Rossi winning the Golden Boot and Italy defeating Germany. Now, unfortunately, uh, we lost Paolo Rossi a couple of years ago. He passed away in 2020, but no doubt an Italian legend, a broadcasting legend is our very own uh, Simon Hill, Global game on tonight. He's off to Qatar tomorrow, uh, so I'm sure he's very excited about that. Simon's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Hello, Simon. Hey,
13: Jules. How are you, mate?
4: Very well. Uh, very excited with the World Cup just around the corner. Before we get stuck in, now, uh, if I had to say, what's one of your, or what's your favourite moment from a World Cup? What would it be?
13: Oh, blinding. Um, huh. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I, look, from a commentary point of view, it would have to be the uh, the game against Japan in 2006 uh, that I was fortunate enough to call during my days at SBS. Uh, that was that was very very special, obviously for the country and and for me as well. Um, as a fan, ooh, I don't know. I mean, what, watching the World Cup when I was a kid in England, obviously you know England got to the semi-finals in 1990, yep. which was Pretty exciting. But, uh, yeah, I'd say the Japan game, I think.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I think most uh, many Australians uh, would definitely agree with you there. H- how are you feeling about this World Cup? We threw this question out there yesterday about what are the excitement levels compared to previous World Cups. We asked Andy Harper the same question. How are you feeling about it compared to when you've been on the eve of other World Cups that you've covered in the past?
13: Well, it's a bit different, isn't it? Uh, let's be honest, because it's midway through the domestic campaign, both in Europe and here, uh, which we're not used to. So it feels a little bit strange. Uh, it's in a part of the world where the cup has, has never been before. Um, and, you know, that's in some ways, that's not a bad thing to, to spread the love and to, to give it to you know, parts of the world that uh, have never had it before. Obviously, there's, you know, there's a big cloud still 12 years on as to how they actually got it. Um, but, you know, once the football gets going, I think that will obviously take over. And, you know, as, as a football fan, obviously, this is the, the once every four years, big festival, big party where the world gets together. And, you know, we'll get excited when the games come around. Um, but yeah, there's there's been a stench, no doubt, in the build up to this World Cup. And you know, you don't need me to go over the issues again mm. about uh, human rights and uh, you know, how migrant workers have died building the stadiums. There's there's a lot of things that aren't right. And I, the one thing that I, I hope FIFA has learned, <laughs> and I'm not 100% convinced <laughs> that they have, but I hope that they've learned is that this is not the way to award World mm. Cups. And if you do, then, you know, you've got to be prepared for, for the fallouts. Um, but... You know it's happening whether we like it or not, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll enjoy the football once it starts. I hope.
4: From an yeah, uh, I think we will once it once it all gets underway. From an Australian point of view, Soccer point of view, promising weekend in the A League. Craig Goodwin was sensational for Adelaide. Uh, Jamie McLaren scored again, and you were lucky enough uh, to call the match between the Central Coast Wanderers and Macarthur, where Garanqual scored twice, his second goal an absolute beauty. Just. You've been in this country a long time now. You've seen a lot of young players, Australians, burst onto the scene. How, how excited are you about what this young man can do, you know, the remainder of this season, yeah. potentially in cameos in this World Cup and, and in the future for, for the Socceroos?
13: Well, I mean, potentially he's got everything. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to sound as though I'm putting a caveat in here, and I am, because we've... We've said this before about one or two players, you know, four years ago, we were all getting very, very excited about Daniel yep. Arzani. Now, you know, his, his time may still yet come because he's still young enough. Um, but young players have to make the right move at the right time and they have to continue their development in, in the right way. Now, it's not quite worked out for Daniel uh, in that regard as yet. As I say, that it still might. Uh, my hope is that Garanga is going to be different because there's no doubt he's a special player. And you saw that again, evidence of it on Sunday. Uh, I mean, that goal, the second goal, defied the laws of physics, really. Um, he's got so much talent. He's got so much confidence. Um, but, you know, we, we've got to temper that with the fact that he's 18. He, he's never even started yeah. a game in professional football as yet. And he's going over to the Premier League to play for Newcastle United. He's not going to go straight into their first team. Uh, My my hope is that he doesn't get sort of lost in that system and end up back in the A-League in two years' time, starting again, unfortunately, as Daniel has had to do. So there's excitement, but tempered with a little dose of realism. And, of course, I hope that he's going to go to the World Cup and tear it up. Uh, He'll probably come off the bench if he plays at all. Um, And he's certainly got the ability and the confidence to do that. But, of course, we're talking you know, the very highest level of world football. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he goes. And, you know, obviously I hope he goes and tears it up because it would be brilliant. But uh, let, let's just see. Let's not put too much pressure on the kids. Uh, there's a lot of hype about him. And rightly so. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's got a long way to go. And he knows that.
4: It's been Simon Hill, host of the Global Game on SEN tonight at 9pm across the SEN network. What have you made of the bits of the Cristiano Ronaldo interview that have come out with Piers Morgan. Today's features, you know, hes pretty critical of a couple of his former teammates, Wayne Rooney and Gary Neville. I'm not sure if you've seen the video, but there's a video posted of um, Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo, Portuguese teammates, Manchester United teammates just coming together. And it's, it's frosty. It's fair to say uh, between the two, um, could this have an effect on Portugal, for example, in their World Cup campaign? And and what's next at club level for Cristiano, do you think?
13: Well, I mean, at club level, he's obviously pulled the hand grenade. Uh, you know, there is no way that he can play again for Manchester United. Uh, I, I would be stunned if he pulled the boots on again for them uh, because he's essentially uh, thrown custard pies at the whole club, um, which is a... a <laughs> either a brave or stupid thing to do. Now, I know that some United fans are saying, look, good on him for speaking out because somebody had to. And there's clearly a a fair bit wrong behind the scenes at Manchester United. Uh, And in fairness to Eric Ten Hag, their new manager, he's trying to sort a lot of those things out. And it's quite clear that Cristiano Ronaldo is not the long-term solution for them. He's 37, 38. Brilliant player, though he's been. um, Still one of the best in the world on his day. But he's coming towards the end of his time. And I I think at club level, he will be on the move in January, if not before then. Um, In terms of his international uh, relationships, look, I I tend to feel that, you know, when you're playing for your country at a World Cup, um, you don't always get on with everybody you work with, do you? I mean, I'm sure there's, (laughs) you don't have to mention names, Jules, but I'm sure there's people that you work with that... You know, you don't necessarily have the best of relationships with, but, you know, when the lights go on and the microphone is switched on, you you get on with it. And I think that will be the case with Ronaldo and Fernandes um, with Portugal because it's a short tournament. But, you know, if they were to go back as teammates at Manchester United, and I don't think it would just be Bruno Fernandes, to be honest, after what he said to Piers Morgan, I think a lot of players would be pretty peed off, (laughs) to use (laughs) the common vernacular as to what he's done. Um, so I think that's the end of the road for Ronaldo at Manchester United. And uh, probably, you know, the sooner they they part ways with each other, the better for all concerned.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure who's advising him, but it doesn't seem like the, the greatest idea. Uh, before we let you go, Simon, uh, what's on the show tonight? And also, Daryl off our 40 Wings temper, wants your pick to win the World Cup, a dark horse and golden boot winner, if you can give us those three.
13: Oh, blimey. Okay. Um, World Cup winner, I'm going to go for Argentina. It's Leo Messi's last crack at the World Cup. And I've just got a sneaky feeling that they might do it. Uh, golden boots, I'll go for Gabriel Jesus.
7: Mm-hmm.
13: Because I think Brazil are going to have a good tournament as well. Uh, Dark horse. I'd love to say England, but I don't think I can really. Um I'll go, I'll go for Croatia they, I know that they're, they're an aging squad in some regards, but they still have some you know real quality players. They got to the final last time, so they, they will probably not be talked about too much by a, a lot of people, but uh, they're always competitive, so I'll go with those three sorry on the show yes. tonight. on the show tonight. Jonathan Aspro from uh, MacArthur. We got the brilliant Tim Vickery talking about South American teams' chances at the World Cup. Uh, and all our regulars as well and of course we'll review the round just gone in the A-League which is one of the best in recent memory
4: actually. 100% that Sydney derby was magnificent. Simon thanks again for your time. Looking forward to the global game tonight on SEN 9pm across the SEN network and uh, safe travels over there and we look forward to uh, listening to you from the World Cup.
13: Thanks very much Jules. Have a great week.
4: Great to chat to Simon Hill of course reminder: Global Game tonight 9pm across the SEN network.
3: Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to
4: the show. After 2 o'clock, Nikki Laird, uh, 2016 Olympian beach volleyballer, We're going to chat about the Great Ocean Road Beach Volleyball Fest or volley fest in Torquay. So she'll join us after 2. Uh, we're going to go back. Uh, to the 2009 draft with former Demon and Hawk Jack Fitzpatrick. And also, we'll count down our latest uh, moments. We're counting down the best 22 moments in AFL since 2000. Uh, So today, we are down numbers 10 through to 6. So we'll count them down. Plenty coming through on the 40 Wings, Timber, about your favourite moments from the World Cup. It's all thanks to Cars24. We're looking for the best 24 FIFA World Cup Moments: uh, Brazil World Cup 2014 thrashed by Germany 7-2, which left the locals head spinning. They told people in the stadium not to leave for their own safety. Brazilian people were very angry. Uh, what about Luis Suarez biting Giorgio Chiellini in the 2014 World Cup in Brazil? And probably the most famous moment, the most infamous moment, the hand of God with Maradona against the English in 1986. Uh, nice one here from Peter tell Simon Hill his call of Japan versus Australia is in the best three commentary moments I've ever heard. Hope this year is just as good. Keep your feedback coming through.
2: Plenty to come after 2 o'clock. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale brewed by the award winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly.
3: Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN.
4: Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome Julian Destoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. A bit of live sport going on at the moment. Uh, Vicks struggling in their Marsh Cup one-day match against Queensland up at Allen Border Field currently 8 for 154 the Vix uh, in the 41st over and uh, if you don't know the score, maybe just cover your ears for a sec, but a big upset maybe brewing in the NFL. Uh, the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles at home to the Washington Commanders, who are four and five. The Eagles are eight zip. They currently trail 20 to 14 uh, in the third quarter, the Philadelphia Eagles. So we'll keep a close eye on that one. But the Great Ocean Road Beach Volley Fest is coming to Torquay later this month. Uh, one of the stars in action will be Nikki Led, an Olympian in 2016 for Australia. And she's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Uh, hello, Nikki. Thanks for your time.
14: Hi, Jules. How are you?
4: Very well. Uh, Tell us all about uh, the Great Ocean Road Beach Volley Fest in Torquay. What's it all about and what can we uh, expect to see?
14: This is actually a really, really major uh, beach volleyball event for us. This is the first time Australia has hosted um, the highest level beach volleyball international tournament since, I think, 2008. Um, So what we can expect is the world's best beach volleyballers on a stretch of Australian beach that I think yeah, deserves the attention.
4: Tell us about the life of a a beach volleyballer throughout the year. So you're on the world tour this year. Just take us through how many events you compete in, what sort of countries you compete in. I guess the last couple of years, that's been all gone because of COVID, but uh, back into it this year.
14: Yeah, it has been off the cards for the last couple of years because of COVID. So this is our first year back on the road. Um, It looks different for everyone. There's events every week. Uh, There's three different tiers of events that you can choose from as well. So Sort of a bit of a choose your own adventure, um, <laughs> but we play we play all over the world. We play in Mexico, we play in Brazil, America, um, we play in you know Slovenia, we play in the Netherlands, um, and now we play on the Great Ocean Road.
4: What's the What's the best venue or the best country you've played in?
14: Oh, that's a tough question. I think that for us, um, it's such a, an atmospheric sport, so. It definitely means a lot when there's crowds that gets behind the game. So as a home court advantage type player, being in Australia in front of family and friends is huge. Um, But if it's not on Australian fans, I would say it has to be in Brazil. Um, Yeah, the locals over there, they know the sport and so they get behind the game pretty aggressively.
4: I'm just interested in how you got into the sport because I think it'd be fair to say you didn't grow up with the dreams of becoming a beach volleyballer. So how did it all sort of emerge for you?
14: Yeah, I uh, I was just a, a sporty little thing. I had two older brothers, so I kind of had to keep up and try and fit in. Um, played a lot of different sports, I think, as little you know, young Australians do. Um, and beach volleyball, like you said, it wasn't on the top of the list. It's not really one that's on the radar yet in Australia. Um, but I was lucky enough to go to a holiday clinic with a friend um, on Manly Beach, and I just instantly felt like it was the right fit. It was sort of the first sport that made sense.
4: So you won 91 centimetres, which is fantastic for volleyball. Uh, height is a pretty important part of the game. But is it fair to say that sort of worked against you in, in some of the, the other sports you were playing as a youngster?
14: Yeah, absolutely. I was a springboard diver for 10, for ten years. Um, I grew late and I grew slow, which was to my favour, but I definitely was too tall for the sports that I started out in. You know, it was that. It was field hockey. Um, you know, I was sort of often told that my physique wasn't the right fit for sports, um, So it was nice when I stumbled across volleyball and was told the entire opposite.
4: It's such a taxing sport. I mean, anything you do in the soft sand is very difficult. So when you first came across beach volleyball, what, what were some of the challenges fitness-wise and then obviously around some of the skills and the, and the nuances of the sport?
14: Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one. It's definitely a hand-eye based sport, but your arms need to function separately to your legs because they've got to move you through the sand. And like you said, it's it's a different um, feeling being on sand than it is on hard ground. It just takes a little bit of uh, getting used to, I think, muscles that had never worked before start working. Um, And once you get used to it, it really does just become kind of the norm. Uh, But the skill side of it takes a long time. And I think that might be why we're struggling with some sort of the popularity for for young kids is you just feel a little silly when you first start playing beach volleyball. (laughs) Um, but if you can push through that part, it is such an extraordinary game and it's just such a fun sport to watch. But I am quite biased.
4: Of course. And it is it is a great sport to watch. Uh, Nikki Led joins us, 2016 Olympian beach volleyball. Just going back to 2016, obviously the results didn't go your way. But what are your sort of memories of competing in the Olympics? And as you said earlier, Brazil are so passionate about uh, their beach volleyball. What was it like competing in an Olympic Games in Rio? Yeah, it was, um,
14: it was, yeah, pretty unique experience. I think Rio, like I said, it is, it's is—it's kind of the home of beach volleyball. Um, so we had 13,000 people in a grandstand for every game um, and 13,000 people that knew the sport. So it was loud. You couldn't hear each other speak. You couldn't think. You just had to do. Um, and our first game was at 1 a.m. against the um, reigning Olympic gold medalist of the, the last three Olympic games. So um, it was a birth by fire. Uh, <laughs> But for us back then, we were, you know, 22, my partner and I was 23. So it was um, just a really great learning experience just to feel what it is to have an entirely different feeling of pressure. Um, But yeah, it was pretty incredible.
4: How difficult was it to try and qualify for Tokyo, given all the the complexities around it being delayed and COVID and, and all these sort of things?
14: Yeah, the qualification for Tokyo was really tough. We had, um, you know, you, you plan a four-year cycle very purposefully, um, and it was the same for everyone, obviously, with the delayed Olympics. Um, but for my partner and myself, it was really tough because we were so hell-bent on 2020 being the year that we were peaking. Um, and it definitely took a lot of adjusting of expectations as well around not being able to be World Tour players anymore. We, we were purely just trying to qualify for an Olympic Games, um, which was a lot of pressure. Uh, and that event that we had to play for qualification is just a one-shot event. Um, and it was in Thailand. So we were quarantined. So we were sort of in a hotel and then you were on the court to play a do-or-die do game and then you were back in the hotel. So it was a it was a really strange experience. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it was the same for everyone.
4: Yeah, tough. And as you mentioned there, um, your partner from 2016, you're now competing against. Uh, how, how, how? I know in beach volleyball, you know, that... People do change partners quite often, but how difficult is that to compete against someone that you've, I guess, shared a lot of special memories with and competed at the highest level with?
14: Yeah, I, I mean, it's not tough in that way. I think that there's such a, a mutual respect competitively that, you know, there's no um, no one's going out there and, and disrespectfully competing. So, you know, may the best man win. And Marise has gone on to just become a really phenomenal uh, international player consistently up around that top five in the world, which... I have a lot of pride in her and that I had that shared experience with her in 2016. Um, And I have the opportunity with this event here on the Great Ocean Road to start out with one of our younger talents um, and hopefully give her that same sort of like leg up and experience of what it might feel like to play at this level of beach volleyball. So that's really exciting for me.
4: And looking at the list of uh, who will be competing in this competition, the Volley Fest, we are going to see the best of the best coming down under, aren't we?
14: Yeah, absolutely. This is this is very huge. It's a big event, um, and it's all the best players in the world that are looking to come and play it because it sort of sets up the rest of um, 2023, which is where the Olympic qualification season starts. So, if you ever want to watch the best players compete in Australia, it's, it's now or it's 2025 when we're hosting a World Championship.
4: So you mentioned there that the qualifying uh, for Tokyo was sort of like a one-off event. You mentioned then we start, you know, this next Olympics comes around really quickly uh, in Paris because the last one was delayed by 12 months. So what's the sort of qualifying schedule or the criteria to try and get a start in Paris?
14: So there's two different ways to qualify for the Olympics. One is through World Tour ranking points, um, which was off the table with 2020 um, with COVID for us in Australia. So you have to um, rank in the top 15 in the world by the cutoff point and you instantly qualify, or you have a a zonal continental qualification process. So you have this one-off tournament that you have to win that event, and then you get that continental zonal spot, which for us is the Asian continental zone.
4: So just finally, before I let you go, you're competing with Alicia Stevens at Volleyfest. Uh, What sort of chance do you give yourselves?
14: I think that you you never know, you know, we're going in with um, me being a bit more experienced at this level. And Alicia, who hasn't really touched on it yet, but she has such an exciting talent that I'm really excited to just get out there and showcase and show Australia and the rest of the world what this girl can do on a beach volleyball court. And I think that we have that little secret weapon of of her being, yeah, a little bit unknown. So I'm not sure what to expect, to be honest. I think that we can go and do something pretty cool.
4: (laughs) Well, Nikki, good luck. It's been great to chat today, and it's great to see such a, a high level event uh, come to Australia. We've got a rich history uh, in the sport. Uh, good luck uh, later this month uh, down in Torquay, and thank you so much for your time.
14: Thank you very much for having me.
4: Great to speak to Nikki Led. Volleyfest, both reigning men's and women's world champions, are descending on Torquay for Volleyfest, the highest level event on the Beach Pro Tour. It runs from November 29 to December 3. So. It is going to be fantastic. If you want tickets, head to beachvolleyfest.com.au. Get another breakaway. Let's go back to our countdown. If you're just joining us, we started it last week, the top 22 moments in AFL footy since 2000. Today we'll go from 10 through to number six.
2: Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly.
3: Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN.
4: You know that music? It's time for Lost in the Wash for Identifibre, your specialist in asbestos and hazardous material assessments. A-Rod Mixed response off the 40 Wings temper for your music. More wrestling themes, please, says Matt and Drew. But you've played the Ricky Martin 1998 World Cup song before. Nope. Absolutely lost me with that outro song. Go home, says another one. So you've got to take the good with the bad. Uh, Just a couple of things that have lost in the wash we haven't mentioned today. Uh, Australian captain Pat Cummins is not... Competing in the IPL next year, says the international fixture is too busy uh, for him to compete in the IPL. Sean Redditch, uh, Perth Wildcats legend, announced today that Perth will retire. He's number 42, Guernsey. I'll tell you what, the Victorian state election can't come quick enough. We've got stories now that Dan Andrews has ditched the North Face jacket for an SEC jacket. Ooh, voting can't come uh, quick enough in that one. Have you got anything else that's been lost in the wash? Give us a call. one 736 736 on the Werribee Kia open line. As always, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Okay, let's get back to our countdown. We're looking at the top 22 moments in AFL since 2000. If you're wondering where the idea came from, it's uh, Mark Beretta's got a new book out: the top twenty sporting moments in Australia since two thousand. So we thought we'd put an AFL lens on it. We've got through eleven through twenty-two. So let's start at number ten today: two thousand and nine Grand Final. Great game, nip and tuck all day. Saints had their chances, but ultimately a piece of improvisation got the Cats across the line.
11: The oh, he's he's Johnson, can he pop it over the top? Somehow's
0: found some space at the last minute. Zach Dawson spills it, but a clever soccer by Scarlett to Ablert from 18 metres. He draws along to the tip of the goal square. Big flyers wanted. Farco, handball's over. It's a snap by Chapman! And Chapman's kicked the goal.
4: The famous towboat boat from Matty Scarlett comes in at number ten. Gary Ablett eventually got it. Probably could have run a lot further and kicked the goal, but was almost spooked by his own teammate. Eventually, the goal kicked by Paul Chapman. yes, Max Rook kicked one after the siren to make it 12 points. But that was the decisive goal in that game. Let's go to number nine. It might not be the last time the great Buddy Franklin features uh, in our countdown, but this happened in the final round of 2008. Here he comes. On 99 goals. Lance Franklin
7: joins the 100 Club and people power has spoken. Out
6: they come by their thousands. Just the 28th man in
9: 150 years of AFL to reach the magical 100.
4: I think it becomes a more special moment because we might not see it again. No one's really gone close. Uh, in the last decade or so to kicking the 100. And you mentioned here, Steve Quaterman in the call there. I remember the the stories around the time was, you know, people don't run out on the ground. There's going to be all this security. And people just flooded the ground. But he came off. He went down the race. They stopped the game. And uh, it was the famous game where Fev was trying to get to 100 as well. And that lousy, miserable man, Alistair Clarkson, just decided to drop a couple back. So Feb finished on 99 goals, and we know it was a special year for the Hawks. And Buddy Franklin, uh, Cats fans, you would have been happy with number 10, Matthew Scarlett's toe poke. Not sure number eight will pre- please you so much. So- Or as Geelong supporters say, bloody Nick Davis, four goals in the last quarter. For context, they kicked three goals for the game to that stage, Sydney. It was a bit of a wetish night. The ground was wet for some reason that night. Low scoring. Cats looked across the line. Nick Davis hadn't done much all night. Four goals including that one basically right on the siren ball goes back to the middle. There must have been about 3 seconds left when he kicked that goal and there is no drought breaking premiership for Sydney if Nick Davis doesn't do that uh, in the semi-final. So that's number 8 speaking of drought breaking premierships. 2016 was a big one for the Western Bulldogs. I think everyone that Didn't follow Sydney, was on the dogs that day, but this was probably, or we think, the defining moment in that grand final.
8: Quick thinking by Kennedy, and Franklin was run down. Tom Boyd's got it. Tom Boyd goes long. How
9: will it bounce? The stadium holds its breath. It's a goal. And the Western suburbs erupt.
4: Great call from Dennis' committee. The stadium holds its breath as that ball just set up. Dale Morris, of course, with the rundown tackle on Buddy Franklin. It was Tom Boyd's greatest moment in footy that entire game. And that was probably the goal that sealed the premiership and so much pain for Western Bulldogs fans. Prelim after prelim after prelim. They had lost in the sort of late 90s and, and 2000s, but they finally got there uh, in 2016. So that was number seven. Number six becomes, this is a moment that uh, if it went, the ball bounced differently, history would be very different.
2: What a best
6: ball bouncing, scores a level. Oh, no. no. What are
15: you doing next week?
0: Gee whiz. Do you take the ball there, Stephen Mill? I think he was going to try and take it. It just bounced out of his reach. It's going to be a draw. It's
7: unbelievable. But it's happened. (laughs)
4: But we'll never see it again because he can't have a draw in a grand final anymore. Remember Nick Maxwell was scathing in his post-match interview, the fact the players had to come back and do it again. And what happens if that ball bounces for Stephen Milne? He runs in and kicks a goal. About a minute 30 to go. St Kilda, do they hang on and win the flag and then break their drought? What does it mean for Collingwood? They had only won one flag since 58. They were the best team that year. They were four goals up at halftime. Would have meant Mick Malthouse had had 11 seasons at Collingwood Without a flag, it's just amazing what one bounce could have done for the course of history. And Saints fans are still searching for that elusive second premiership. The man that was coaching them that day, Ross Lyon, is back. If he got him across the line that day, there's probably a statue at Moorabbin already of Ross Lyon. And that, you know, really good era of St Kilda players just missed out in 2009, just missed out in 2010. We all know what happened uh, in the replay. Uh, It didn't go their way. Collingwood won easily and the Saints have not won Oh, they've won one final since, so they haven't even been close uh, to getting back there. So that was number six. So six Stephen Mills bounce in the grand final. Seven Todd Boyd's goal in the 2016 grand final. Number eight, Nick Davis, four goals in the last quarter of the semifinal in 2005. Number nine, Buddy Franklin, the last man to kick 100 goals in a season in 2008. Will we ever see it again? And number 10, Matty Scarlett's toe poke in the 2009 Grand final. So they've got five to go tomorrow. We'll count down five through to number one. Might get your opinion on uh, how we went tomorrow after we get down uh, to number one. Just a couple more here off our 40 Wings temper. We've been asking for the greatest moments in World Cup history. We're chasing about 24 of them. It's for cars, 24, of course. Uh, Yeah, this one's got to be right up there. Jules, how about Tim Carles Volley to put us up 2-1 against the Dutch in 2014. Unfortunately, we butchered the lead and lost 3-2, says Daryl in Reservoir. Another one here saying Kale scoring that amazing goal, the the Netherlands. Uh, another one here on AFL. Uh, just wanting to know if you know when the AFL fixture is coming out for next year. Want to plan holidays and get cheap flights? Seems to be very little as when it's coming out. A Tassie holding it up. Uh, it's going to be out early December. Don't have an exact date yet. Normally it is... I used to be back in late October, uh, but it's sort of been November more recently. But uh, thinking, well, it's looking like it's going to be early December. And hello, Jules. Seriously, skillful game is beach volleyball, easily the best sport to watch. Cheers, Catter. Let's get the latest from the newsroom. Uh, Jack Fitzpatrick, not too far away. We're looking back at the 2009 draft. Thirteen days to go until the 2022 version. Uh, So we're going to go back 13 years. Big draft for the Ds. Picks one and two. They also snared Max Gorn in that draft to pick uh, in the 30s. And Jack Fitzpatrick was number 50. Very interesting career that he's had and uh, doing some interesting things off the field now. We'll speak to him very shortly on afternoon. So Just looking at the Vicks. uh, Nine for 171. They're in all sorts of trouble in their Marsh Cup match. It might actually have just been all bowled out, actually, for 171 in 47 overs. So let's get the latest now from April in the newsroom.
0: Just the social media stuff that I've been um, sort of reading and sifting through is they're saying this is another reason as to why umpires shouldn't have to vote straight yeah. after the game. Leave it to an expert panel that can decide. Yeah. Don't leave it up to the umpires. Uh, take that responsibility off them. I mean, I don't know if that's the way, but now there's three and next year there's going to be four. By the sounds, they're going to bring in another umpire. They're trying to look at everything that goes on in the game. Everything that goes on with the game, rule changes, decisions yeah. in the moment. And now the fact that there's well, there's three at the moment, they're all sort of in different thirds of the ground. So you're not actually seeing mm. who's the most influential the whole mm. time, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I agree. I, I'd give it to a, someone who's, who's been watching the game and sitting up high and understands what's happened throughout yeah. the whole game and, and
4: decide from there. Yeah, it's Dane Zorko this morning on Pat and Heels up in Brisbane. Uh, couldn't disagree more, and I think Andy and Gaze are going to discuss this on the run home coming up. They'll have Darren Goldspink, a former AFL umpire, to talk about this big story uh, in regards to betting and the Brownlow medal. Travis Head, Australian cricketer, will also join the boys after three. Just a quick one here off the 40 wings temper. Don't forget, get your unique Bed Batch profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. That Nick Davis 05 final moment is my favourite sporting moment ever. I've watched the DVD. I don't want to watch DVDs anymore. Of that last quarter, at least 40 times. Absolute goosebumps every time. It was the best, most crucial quarter of footy a player has ever played in AFL. It's a big call. Probably the biggest of the century. As you said, without that, we don't break our flag drought. Cheers, mate. Tazzy. Tommy, yet yeah, no doubt about that they, they don't if he doesn't do that uh, that they, they lose that game and who knows uh, what happens to the swans under roosy in the next couple of years. Let's get another breakaway. Jack Fitzpatrick not too far away as we look back at the 2009 national draft.
3: Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. <laughs>
4: Welcome back to the show.
3: 2009 draft,
4: pretty good one. When you look through it, Dustin Martin pick three, Ben Cunnington pick five. You go down to pick twenty, Nat Fife, Mitch Duncan pick twenty eight, Jack Gunston twenty nine. Luke Ball was drafted by Collingwood across from St Kilda, played in the flag straight away at pick thirty. Max Gorn thirty four, three time Richmond Premiership player David Asprey at thirty five. Sam Reed from the Swans at thirty eight. Ben Stratton. Down at 46. It was a big, big draft. Taylor Duray, Matt Suckling, 69 and 70 uh, in that draft. Premiership players for Hawthorne. And there was a promoted rookie at pick 86 by the name of Liam Picken, who had a pretty decent career. But big draft for the Demons. They had pick one and two. Their sixth pick in the draft that year. They selected Jack Fitzpatrick, who's been good enough to join us today. Uh, Jack, thanks for your time. Before we go back to 2009 and look through your footy journey, uh, what's keeping you busy these days?
15: Uh, Definitely keeping busy, mate. Uh, Doing some footy coaching, I guess, if we're talking about the footy world. So um, I spent a couple of years coaching as an assistant at Werribee, so I was really fortunate enough to coach under John Lamont and then Choco Williams there before Choco went to the D's and then had two years as an assistant at the Bulldogs women's side. Under Nathan Burke, which was fantastic as well. So now I'm out on my own, senior coach at Lake Wendaree Footy Club in the Ballarat League. So... Had my first year as a senior coach just gone and looking forward to year number two. Um, I'm also an ambassador at Diabetes Victoria, um, so I lived with Type 1 myself. Had my 10-year anniversary earlier this year, so yeah, do a fair bit with Diabetes Victoria. And in the real world, mate, I call it, uh, got myself uh, a reasonably new job, actually. I've stepped into the recruitment world, so a corporate sellout,
4: some would say. <laughs> and you dabble in the media there for a little bit.
15: Yeah, mate, I, I did, and I still do little bits and pieces here and there, I suppose. I mean, it was probably, you know, I did have a show on SEM called Off the Field, sort of as COVID sort of hit, and then, yeah, the last couple of years, things have slowed down a little bit. So um, I think you'll find, you know, recruitment, coaching, ambassador, media, you name it, um, anywhere where I can get the sound of my own voice, I'm more than
4: happy <laughs> to dabble it. Hey, Dave, so you mentioned now you know you spent some time coaching at Werribee and the Bulldogs AFLW, but I guess there's... There's nothing like taking charge of your own team, whatever level it's at. So how did you find that at Lake e this year?
15: Look, it, it was really good. It was the first time, I guess, I'd sort of been involved at, at local footy for a long period of time. I mean, you know, by the time you sort of stopped playing Junior footy, and you start playing TAC Cup or, or the NAB League as it is now, and, and Vic Metro and AIS and those kinds of things. Um, you know, you're probably 15 really by the time you know you, you stop at local. And then I sort of stepped in straight to VFL the and then AFLW. So, you know, they're, um, you know, obviously, you know, a, a, higher standard in the local footy. So it was really good to be back at the local footy. It was the first time I've been involved. You know, we've got the netball club as well, and our netballs are really successful. So, you know, that's great, and you've got the functions and all these kinds of things. So, you know, the old beer after a game with the opposition, that's uh, something I was looking forward to and certainly have enjoyed as well.
4: Magnificent. Uh, before we get stuck into 2009 and how your AFL journey began, you mentioned the diabetes there, and I guess... In AFL world these days, you know we talk about Paddy McCartan and how he's had to manage that. You also managed some chronic fatigue uh, coming through the ranks as well. How much of a challenge was um, keeping on top of the diabetes during your career?
15: The diabetes, I find myself really fortunate in a sense that I was in my third year of playing AFL footy at the time, and. I mean, you know, the best way to live with diabetes is is you keep active, you have a good routine, you eat well, you're disciplined, and you keep fit and active, as I said. So that's exactly what you do as an AFL player. You know, you're eating well, you're keeping fit, you have a good routine, you're quite disciplined. So in some ways, um, I was fortunate that that was when it happened. I mean, you mentioned Paddy McCartan, and, um, you know, I feel... Uh, you know, he's had his, you know, he's got the diabetes, which I've obviously got. So I've always sort of followed his career closely and, and played on him in his early days when we were both playing in the Um And then I obviously retired with concussion in 2017. So then I see what's going on with Paddy as well. So I feel really aligned with him and almost, you know, a, a, a sense of pride seeing him doing what he's doing, because on top of sort of, you know, what, what I had to deal with when I was playing with both, you know, the concussion, the diabetes sort of at the end of my career, have you had to deal with the concussion on top of the whole, oh, he's the number one draft pick, is he a flop, is he going to come back, all that sort of stuff, which I was probably, you know, we'll get to 2009 in a minute, being a little bit of a later draft pick and then missing significant time with concussion. It was sort of towards the end of my time at Melbourne and then when I was at Hawthorne, sort of almost as a nobody or almost a cult figure as opposed to someone who was that number one draft pick with that expectation.
4: Before we get back to 2009, you mentioned there that the concussion did cause an premature retirement for you, it really flawed you a couple of times late in your career. Has there been any problems with it since?
15: Look, I like to think, touch wood, that I'm going okay. Um, it was after the night concussion that I sort of was told by the doctors to stop playing um, and that I can't play contact sport. And my first response was, "Well, have you ever seen me play? I don't play a contact <laughs> sport." So that was uh, that was you know one last big attempt. But look. You know, it is one way. There's so much in the media about it. You hear stories of people, and they are horrible stories. Um, It is quite scary, if I'm totally honest with you. Touch wood, I'm okay. I mean, I wake up every day, and and most of the time, I don't have a headache, and I look at a computer screen all day, and I'm coaching, and I'm doing all these kinds of things. There is a really strong correlation between how you feel with your concussion symptoms versus when your blood sugar goes quite low. That's what I've found, um, being a diabetic. And sometimes if I'm a bit lightheaded or dizzy or have a headache or any of those sort of symptoms, I will check my blood sugars. And sometimes if it is my blood sugar, that's an answer. Sometimes if my blood sugars are fine, I then go, oh, hang on, what's going on here? And you start to wonder. Um, But then, you know, you also go, well, people do at times have a headache or feel a bit lightheaded or whatever for a various number of reasons. So am I reading into it too much? So, look, touch wood, I'm okay. Um, Yeah, you never know what the future holds. And if you do read some of the stories that are quite scary, it probably can concern you from time to time, but um, I can't change the concussions I've had, unfortunately.
4: Yeah, it sounds like you're, you're well and truly on top of it. Talking to Jack Fitzpatrick, he was pick 50 in the 2009 National Draft for the Demons, went on and finished his career at the Hawks. Okay, let's go back to 2009. Significant draft for the Demons. They've got the first two picks, but you had to wait till their fifth pick, pick number 50. What are your memories and expectations of, of going into the draft and then how it all unfolded on the night?
15: Well, Matt, I just had picks Pick 50, so I was 49 picks too late, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Uh, And that was the year, of course, you know, Scully and and Trengove 1 and 2, and that was the year that I still find it amazing. Melbourne gets found not guilty of tanking, but still fine for it anyway, which doesn't really make sense to me. (laughs) That's no sense. I tell everyone that that, uh, they're they're actually out to get me at pick 50. It wasn't Scully, it wasn't (laughs) but it wasn't gone. They wanted me at pick 50, so that's what I tell everyone. yeah, look, it was sort of an interesting year for myself because, you know, early in the year, I would have been quite an early draft pick and I had a quite an ordinary top age year. Um, so I sort of went from being someone who'd be, you know, at the top of the year, I would have been top three, top five, to all of a sudden, will you, will you get drafted at all? So um, Melbourne had told me beforehand that they were tossing up between myself and Max at pick 18. And um, they did say that, uh, you know, they wouldn't let the draft go without me um, without me going. Um, then at 18, they didn't pick either of us. They picked Woodcats, Scott.
8: So um,
15: <laughs> they then took Gawney at pick 34, and, and then myself at 50. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting night. Um, I guess I was probably always confident I, I would at least get rookie, but you never really know until your names are out. How
4: how tough's that mentally for a young player coming through when you start a year and everything you read and everything you hear and your expectations are, yeah, I'm going to be drafted. I, I might even be a pretty high draft pick, and then it doesn't go your way in your top age year. How how tough is that to to deal with?
15: Look, I've always been, I guess, reasonably self-confident. You try and border on that line of confidence and and arrogance. I mean, I look back and and did I get ahead of myself? Probably subconsciously I might have. Um, It certainly wasn't a deliberate thing. I mean, you know, I use the analogy of COVID at the moment of how tough the last couple of years would have been of, of picking players and not really seeing them play in their top age year because, it sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's probably true that if my draft was done at the start of my top age year, I probably would have been a top three and a top five pick. And that would have been ahead of players like Matt Fife and Dustin Martin. Now, I don't know what draft sounds right if Jack Fitzpatrick gets picked before <laughs> Dustin Martin and Matt Fife. So um, that, I think it is a really tough job for recruiters. Um, yeah, I, as I said, I probably went from being someone who's a potentially early pick to having a year that I wasn't overly happy with as a top age player. Um, and yeah, your name's sliding down that list. So it can be quite tough. as I said, I look back in hindsight, was I a little bit ahead of myself? Maybe I was, but at the end of the day, you always get told if you end up as pick one or pick 100 in the rookie draft, if you end up on the list, sort of everyone gets a blank slate and you get to start from there. So the end goal was to get drafted, and I was fortunate enough that I did.
4: What are your early memories of Max Gorn? He seems these days he likes to play up the fact that you know, he used to like to have a smoke and he was pretty carefree. What are your sort of memories of an early yes. Max, given you, you came to the club at the same time?
15: I remember meeting Max in under-18s at Vic Metro training. And as I said, I sort of had a pretty good junior career and at the stage was probably one of the highly touted young players. So I'd been in under-16 Vic Metro. I'd been in the AIS. I played Vic Metro as a bottom-age player. Um, And then as a top-age player, Max came into it. And I actually remember the first time I saw him thinking, oh, well, he's only here because he's tall. We'll probably last a couple of weeks and that'll be it. So I then saw him play in a trial game and thought, geez, this guy can seriously play. Um, And that was before he did his knee as an under 18 um, for Sandringham so then he missed the rest of that year um, I then got to go to draft camp with him and, and that was at the AIS which was really good fun and we just clicked straight away we had a very similar sense of humour um, both of us very easy target to, to pick on but we're happy to you know give it back as well so I remember him at draft camp um, was a kid who um, didn't perform overly well in the uh, in the beep test and uh, we were sitting in the spa or Max was sitting in the spa because he just had his ACL done. So he didn't do anything at draft camp other than do interviews. Whereas all the other kids, we were, uh, you know, busting our, busting ourselves out to, to put our best foot forward. And Max decided it would be a good idea to ask his kid why he was bothering with recovery because he wasn't in the beat test long enough to, hurt his, <laughs> to fatigue, fatigue his body anyway. So that was always what he was sort of like. Um you know, we just clicked. We both sort of, you know, rucks can be a little bit different. I think people will say, and you know, being taller, we just got on really well. And, and the night we got drafted, I was at my high school graduation, which was, which was a unique experience in <laughs> itself. And you know, I went to high school with Mad Jack as well, so there was a third bit going on. And he just left me a voicemail on my phone and said, oh, "Pick up your phone, you idiot. We're going to the D's together, you beauty." <laughs> so um, yeah, he, he got drafted and. Uh yeah, I think it's been well publicised. His so first six to 12 months wasn't great. But um, once he worked it out, he became a pretty good player.
4: Yeah, he's pretty handy and uh, still pretty handy to this day. So how do you look back on your six years at Melbourne? You, you saw it all individually. What happened at the club? You know, Dean Bailey went and came and went. Um, you know, Mark Neal came and went. There wasn't many wins in there as well. How do you look back on that time?
15: Um, character building, <laughs> I think. um, yeah, I was there for six years and had five coaches. So, um, yeah, it wasn't the best period of all the time. And I think that's all been well documented. Um, look, I think you get some really good, close, unique relationships with these the people you went through it with. I mean, you know, and it was so good to see them finally win a couple of years ago. And when I say the relationships with people, it's not just um, the players. I mean, you know, the support staff that go through it all, the supporters that go through it all, you see them at family days, you see them at events, best and fairest, et cetera. Um, it was good to see them get some success after some really hard time. I think what it also gave me was you know, you think of where Melbourne was from 2009 to 2015 and, and sort of what I saw there. I then went to the Hawks at the end of 2015, so they'd just won three in a row. And the joke I say to everyone is that the only way they could improve on that side was to get me. So <laughs> that's uh, the only way they could have gone uphill from there, mate. But How think, have won a final you know, six. Well, exactly. Right. I did play in the final that Isaac missed after the starting against the Wong, so from then uh, I did play in those two games, uh, that game and I went on to beat it. so maybe I was a bad luck charm, but I think what it allowed me to see was, I guess, a club at its peak in terms of performance. Now, we know what's sort of being spoken about at the moment of the allegations of what went on at Hawthorne around that time. I mean, you know, I can't comment on that. I didn't see any but I didn't. I wasn't involved in it. It's obviously a very sensitive issue, but in terms of you know, the club itself being at its peak performance um, and the team versus, you know, what I had seen at, at Melbourne over my six years there, it really gave you an example of what does and doesn't work, I suppose.
4: And we think great Hawthorne goals, and I think you'll agree with me here, Jack Fitzpatrick, round 22 v Collingwood, is one of the all-time greats. It's one I reckon you enjoy talking about a little bit.
15: Oh, I'm more than happy to, mate. It's a true story that my original Twitter account got suspended because I tweeted it too much. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was around about the same time actually Donald Trump got suspended from Twitter and I got suspended as well. So I don't know about the company that I was sharing at that stage. Um but yeah, look, I'm more than happy to talk about it. It obviously was a great day, a great moment. And I think for myself, you know, trying not to make it a long story, but there was a whole lot that went through that year that was, you know, quite tough. You know, even twelve months earlier I'd I'd um you know, sort of being given the flick from Melbourne, I guess. And then, you know, a lot of people say, well, if you can't get a game from Melbourne, you've got no chance of playing for Hawthorne. And that's probably fair enough. But all the way from that, I then suffered an injury. I was dealing with, you know, some, um, a loss in the family at the time. And then um, just as I was coming past an injury that I dealt with, I was a high of my knee in the NAB Challenge and then lost my grandfather. I then caught the concussion, which I missed a significant period of time for. So um, I think I missed two or three months with that concussion. Um, And it was also the year that Ruffy was dealing with his health issues and Ryan Shalmakis was having injury issues. So from an outside, literally all I had to do was be fit and I would have played every week. (laughs) And unfortunately I wasn't fit and playing. So it was just one of these scenarios where, you know, I got this second opportunity. It looked like it just might not have quite worked out for a various number of reasons. Um, I got back and played a couple of games for Box Hill and was fortunate enough to get picked for that game. And You know, I think it was just the 12-month build-up to that on top of the actual moment itself for me. I mean, even my last game for Melbourne was also against Collingwood. And people will probably recall at the same end of the ground, I did a tunnel ball, which uh, still gets laughed about (laughs) as well. So it was almost like a full circle, same opposition, same ground, same end of the ground. Um, One moment not so great and the other moment a little bit better.
4: Uh, there was ne- it was never dull with you, uh, Jack. It was a fascinating journey. and It's great to hear you're doing uh, so well post-footy, you know, still involved in footy and uh, in the, the business world as well. Uh, it's been great to catch up today. Thanks so much for your time.
15: No, mate, thank you for having me. Always happy to have a chat, particularly when it's about myself.
4: <laughs> Want to witness the world's biggest football game?